This morning I will be reading from Acts 15, verses 1 through 12. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Then certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversation of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be served through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Chancellor Choir. That was a great Easter anthem. Clap your hands, all you people. Come on, uh, Methodists. There we go. Yeah. Such a, such a Methodist thing for us to do, to listen to people singing about clapping their hands, but not actually clap their hands. We've got to clap our hands at some point there. Well, let's begin today with a story from the earliest days of the Methodist Church in America. So in the early days of Methodism in America, nobody was bigger than this man named Francis Asbury. Francis Asbury was the first bishop of the Methodist Church, and he worked tirelessly and he traveled endlessly, sharing the good news of God's love in Jesus with people and spreading and growing the Methodist movement. Francis Asbury went down every back road. He went to every backwater village and settlement to share with people what God had done in Jesus and how they could be a part of it. Francis Asbury got around so much. He went to so many different places that in his time, he was the most recognized person in all of America. Francis Asbury was more recognized than George Washington. He was more recognized than Thomas Jefferson. No matter where he went in the United States, people recognized his face and called him by name. Thousands of people named their children after Francis Asbury. And when he came through town and stopped to preach, people would come out in droves to hear Francis Asbury's sermons, to hear Bishop Asbury preach. And that's what happened one day Francis Asbury was passing through Delaware 
And he stopped to preach at a chapel. And people came out, a great crowd of people came out to hear him preach. So many people came to hear Bishop Asbury preach that they didn't all fit within the church. A great crowd of people gathered outside of the church and they pressed up to the windows and they strained to hear the worship and the sound of what was happening inside the church. And as they were standing there with their ears up to the window listening to this phenomenal sermon, this spectacular sermon, this stirring and rousing and moving sermon that was happening within the chapel. One of the women who was standing outside with her ear pressed up against the window was heard to say to all the other people standing out there, she said, you know, if all Methodist preachers could preach like this bishop, I might get to worship more often. At which point a voice called out from inside the church in response and said, lady, That's not the bishop that you're hearing. That's the bishop's carriage driver. And it's true, it wasn't Bishop Asbury who was preaching that rousing sermon, that stirring sermon, that phenomenal, moving sermon. Instead, it was the bishop's carriage driver. It was a man by the name of Harry Hosier. And that's who we're going to talk about today. We're not going to talk about Bishop Asbury today. Today, we're going to talk about this man named Harry Hosier. We're going to hear the story of the man named Harry Hosier. Now, we don't know a lot about the early years of... Of Harry Hosier's life. Uh, historians believe that Harry Hosier was born into slavery in North Carolina sometime around the year 1750. And right around the beginning of the American Revolution, Harry Hosier became a free man. And it was also right around that time that he met Francis Asbury and he became Francis Asbury's carriage driver. And so he would drive the carriage while Bishop Asbury was in the back of the carriage working on his sermons or reading scriptures or doing whatever it is that bishops do when they're in the back of a carriage. And as they were traveling down all those back roads and as they were going to all of those little backwater settlements, Bishop Asbury discovered a remarkable thing about Harry Hosier. He discovered that even though Harry Harry Hosier had never learned to read or write. Even though Harry was completely illiterate, he had a prodigious memory. He could hear and instantly recall word for word long passages of scripture or sermons as Bishop Asbury read them. Not only that, but Francis discovered that Harry himself had exceptional gifts as a preacher. And when Bishop Asbury discovered that Harry could preach, he said, this is fantastic. We can become a ministry team. Everywhere we go, I can preach to the white congregation and then Harry can preach to the black congregation and between the two of us, we can share the good news of God's love in Jesus with everyone in all of America. And so Francis and Harry became partners in ministry. When they stopped to preach somewhere, Bishop Asbury would get up and he would preach a sermon to the white congregation and then he would say, and now Harry's going to come up and preach and, and Bishop Asbury would step out of the pulpit and Harry would step into the pulpit and all the white folks would make their way out of the pews and all the black folks would make their way into the pews and and Bishop Asbury preached to the white crowd and Harry preached to the black crowd and it went on this way until one day suddenly something remarkable and completely unexpected took place. One day Bishop Asbury got up and he preached his sermon And then he said, okay, and now Harry's going to get up and speak next. And Bishop Asbury stepped out of the pulpit, and Harry stepped into the pulpit, 
and nobody else moved. All those white people stayed put in the pews because they didn't want to hear Bishop Asbury. They wanted to hear Harry. They wanted to hear Harry's sermon. Harry's reputation as a preacher had grown to exceed even that of Bishop Asbury. And it's hard to overstate exactly just how well-known Harry Hosier was in those days, just how great his reputation was as a preacher in those days. Uh, there was a, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, Dr. Benjamin Rush, who was one of America's leading intellectuals in those days, declared that Harry Hosier was the greatest orator in all of America. Bishop, uh, Bishop Thomas Koch said, surely Harry is one of the greatest preachers in all the world. Harry preached as far north as Nova Scotia. He preached all the way down south in the Caribbean. And everywhere he went, people, black and white, would come out by the hundreds and by the thousands to hear Harry Hosier preach a sermon. Harry's reputation was so great that there are are historians who believe that the word Hoosier, as in the Indiana Hoosiers, was originally a term that was used to describe all of those thousands of people on the American frontier who were converted to Methodism by Harry Hosier's preaching. It would be almost impossible to overstate the greatness of, of Harry's reputation as a preacher as a celebrity, as an influential figure in American history at that time. And so maybe now today you're sitting out there in the pews and you're wondering, so if Harry was such a big deal, why is this the first time I'm ever hearing about Harry Hosier? Why, why is it that we don't talk about Harry in the church the way that we talk about John Wesley or Francis Asbury? Why is it that I have never driven past a Harry Hosier United Methodist Church? Well, it turns out, There's a very sad and tragic reason why Harry Hosier has faded from our memory, not just from American memory, but from our memory even within the Methodist church. During Harry Hosier's time, the the best way we could describe the place of black Methodists within the Methodist church is to say that they were included but unequal. Now, during Harry's day, when Methodist congregations got together for worship, black Methodists were expected to sit up in the balcony. And when Methodists got together for for meetings or for conferences or to make important decisions, black Methodists were in the room, but they didn't have a vote. And even though the church was perfectly happy to hold up Harry Hosier as a sort of a mascot of the Methodist church, and even though the Methodist church was perfectly willing to reap the benefits of Harry Hosier's ministry, the one thing that the church was not willing to do was to ordain Harry Hosier. And when Harry asked to be ordained, And when he started pressing to be ordained the way that other Methodist preachers had been ordained, we see a sudden shift in the way that people talk about Harry Hosier. Up until that point in his life and up until that point in his ministry, whenever people talked about Harry Hosier, this is what they would say. They would say, his ability as a preacher is matched only by the greatness of his humility. Over and over, we find people talking about how humble Harry was. But as soon as he starts asking, as soon as he starts pressing to be ordained, suddenly we hear people saying a very different sort of thing about Harry. Suddenly we hear people saying things like, well, Harry sure has got full of him himself, hasn't he? Well, poor Harry, he let all of that attention go to his head. It's hard not to hear jealousy in the way that other Methodist preachers begin to talk about Harry Hosier. 
It sure does seem like what people in the church were saying at that moment in time is Harry has got to be a little bit uppity and he needs to be put in his place. And so that's what happened. The leaders of the church closed ranks and the Methodist church excluded Harry Hosier and they refused to ordain Harry Hosier. And so Harry left the Methodist church and we don't know very much about what happened to Harry after that. There are some reports, there are some stories that in the later years of his life, Harry wound up penniless and homeless, wandering the streets of Philadelphia. Maybe that's so. Nobody knows for sure. All we know for certain is that the Methodist church messed up. All we know for sure is that the Methodist church missed out. All we can say with certainty is that when God poured out the Holy Spirit upon Harry Hosier, God was giving the Methodist Church a gift that the Methodist Church was not ready to receive. And that is so often the way that it goes in the church. So often, when we look at the history of the church, what we see is God's Holy Spirit racing out ahead while the church drags its heels and lags behind. So often we hear the Holy Spirit saying yes and the church saying no. So many times we hear God's Holy Spirit saying, I am about to do a new and glorious thing. And we hear the church saying, hang on a minute. Let's have a meeting about this. Let's discuss whether or not this is a good idea. Let's create some rules and parameters around what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. And that's exactly what we see happening in today's scripture reading. In our scripture reading this morning, we have a story from the New Testament book of Acts. The book of Acts tells us the story of the beginning of the church. In the book of Acts, we find the stories of the things that the Holy Spirit and the apostles did in the days and the years following the resurrection of Jesus. In those early years of the Christian faith, most of the believers, most of the followers of Jesus were located within the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where God raised Jesus from the dead. Jerusalem is where God poured out the Holy Spirit upon the church. Most of the apostles chose to begin their ministries there in the city of Jerusalem. They ministered to the Jewish believers who were there in the city. And even when evangelists left Jerusalem and went to other places, they tended to stay within the Jewish community with one major exception. Now, the apostle Paul and his sidekick Barnabas left the city of Jerusalem. And they traveled from place to place and they went from city to city and they went down all the back roads and they went to every backwater in the Roman Empire and everywhere they went they shared the good news of God's love in Jesus with everyone they met, Jew and Gentile. And as they were traveling around, Paul and Barnabas witnessed the same strange and unprecedented and unexpected miracle happening over and over and over again. They watched as God poured out the Holy Spirit upon Jesus. Gentile believers. They watched as God poured out the Holy Spirit on uncircumcised Gentile believers. They watched as God poured out the Holy Spirit on uncircumcised Gentile believers who had no background in the Jewish faith. They watched as God poured out the Holy Spirit on uncircumcised Gentile believers who had no background in the Jewish faith and were strangers to the law of Moses. And when they saw this happening over and over again, and Paul and Barnabas rejoiced, but not everybody rejoiced. 
Sooner or later, word about what Paul and Barnabas were up to made its way back to the other apostles in the city of Jerusalem. The other apostles heard that Paul was preaching to the Gentiles. They heard that not only was Paul preaching to the Gentiles, but Paul was baptizing Gentiles. Not only was Paul baptizing Gentiles, but Paul was ordaining Gentiles and sending them out to preach the gospel. Paul was ordaining Gentiles, uncircumcised Gentiles with no background in the Jewish faith who were strangers to the laws of Moses to go out and proclaim the gospel. And when they heard about everything that Paul was doing, the apostles had some concerns. The book of Acts tells us that there was no small amount of dissension and debate about what Paul and Barnabas were doing. And that dissension and debate got to be so heated that finally the apostles decided they needed to have a talk with Paul. And so they called Paul and Barnabas to come back to Jerusalem. And so Paul and Barnabas made their way all the way back to Jerusalem. And Paul and Barnabas gathered and all of the apostles were there and the opponents of Paul and Barnabas were there. It was the first great council in the history of the church. All the leaders of the church were gathered together in one place. And when they got together for the council of Jerusalem, they argued and debated Paul and his opponents back and forth all day long. They argued and debated questions like, should Gentiles be required to get circumcised before they get baptized? Should Gentile believers be made to follow the law of Moses in order to become followers of the way of Jesus? Back and forth they went all day long. And as Paul and his opponents argued and debated, it sure did look like Paul was going to lose. It looked like the opponents of Paul and Barnabas were going to win. It looked like the apostles had been swayed by the arguments of the opponents of Paul. And of course, why not? The opponents of Paul had tradition on their side. And the opponents of Paul had precedent on their side. And the opponents of Paul had scripture on their side. And so as the day went on, it looked like the apostles were leaning towards siding with the opponents of Paul and Barnabas. And Paul was going to have his ministry taken away from him. But all day long, as they went back and forth and back and forth, there was one person who listened in silence. All that day, there was one person who listened very carefully and paid close attention but didn't speak a single word. And it turned out that the one person who didn't speak up was the one person whose voice mattered the most. During the ministry of Jesus, Simon Peter had been a sort of unofficial spokesperson of the disciples. Simon Peter was the closest thing that Jesus had to a right-hand man. And in those early days of the church, the apostles continued to look up to Peter. They continued to feel that in some unofficial way, Peter was the real leader of the church. And all day long, Peter listened and he weighed his options and he kept his silence. And then finally, after hours and hours of debate, Peter decided to speak up. And he said, you all know. And all the other apostles quieted down. And Peter said, you all know that I myself have witnessed this same strange and unprecedented and unexpected miracle. I myself have watched as God poured out the Holy Spirit on uncircumcised Gentile believers. And it seems to me, Peter said, that in that moment, God made no distinction 
between us and them. It seems to me that in that moment, God declared them acceptable because of their faith. And I cannot understand why we would want to require something from them that even God has not chosen to require. And I cannot understand why we would decide to place a burden on their shoulders that even God has not asked them to carry. It seems to me, Peter said, that God's grace does not discriminate. And if God's grace does not discriminate, then neither should we. And that was enough. That was all it took, just one word, just one short speech from Peter, and suddenly the apostles changed their mind. They were swayed. They were moved by Peter's argument. And so they decided at the end of the day that Paul could continue with his ministry to the Gentiles. And the apostles agreed that Gentile believers would not need to be circumcised in order to become members of the church. And they decided that Gentile believers would not have to live according to the law of Moses. And then somebody spoke up and somebody said, but we are going to make them follow some rules, right? And all the apostles said, oh yeah, we're definitely going to make them follow some rules. And then they had a great time writing up a whole list of rules that these new Gentile believers had to follow because this is so often how it goes in the church. So often in the life of the church, it's a story of two steps forward and one step back. Over and over again in the history and the story of the church, we see God's spirit racing out ahead while the church drags its heels. We hear the spirit say, yes while the church says no we hear the spirit saying I am about to do a new and glorious thing while the church says hold on slow down let's have a meeting let's write some rules let's decide exactly how wide we want to open the doors of the church so many times God's Holy Spirit has got to wrestle our hands away from the death grip that we have on the doors of the church and that's what we're going to hear about these next few weeks in worship As we gather and worship these next few weeks, we're going to hear stories about moments when the Holy Spirit tried to wrestle our fingers away from the door of the church. We're going to discover that the good news is that God has never asked the church's permission before pouring out the Holy Spirit. We're going to discover, we're going to hear the good news that God is perfectly happy working outside the walls and outside the rules, and outside of the procedures of the church. These next few weeks in worship, we're going to hear the good news that when God's people try to stifle the Holy Spirit in here, God is perfectly happy to pour out the Holy Spirit out there. In worship, we're going to hear stories of moments when God poured out the Holy Spirit out there, when God did things that the church was not ready for. We're going to hear stories of moments and learn to recognize the signs that God is moving with or without us in the hopes that next time God pours out the Holy Spirit out there, maybe... Maybe next time the Methodist church will be ready. Let's pray. God, we pray that you would make us ready. We pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see those moments when you are moving, sometimes with the church, sometimes around the church, sometimes even in spite of the church. God, we pray that you would help us to see and spot the signs that you are pouring out your Holy Spirit on somebody who we wouldn't have called, somebody who we would not have picked, somebody who we would not have chosen in order to do a new and glorious thing among us. God, help us to see. Help us to be ready. 
Help us to celebrate when you pour out your Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus. Amen.